0: Oh, wait. Good morning. Oh, <laughs> good morning.
1: <laughs> I was, uh, <clears throat> so I know that. So first thing I did this morning was, uh, the market tanked oh. over the last couple of days, as you might be aware, especially tech. And so I was down serious money and I've been watching a couple of my stop losses fired a couple of my, um, I had wanted to reallocate things based on latest guidance from Motley Fool as to the portfolios that I'm in and which ones they had the most confidence in. And then luckily, one of the things that I got out of in order to then buy other things really tanked a lot. (laughs) And so I avoided those losses, I guess. But overall, my portfolio was down serious, like, you know, the biggest jump, even worse than last March, which is where we at last had the uh, the last uh tech and growth bloodbath, if you will, but this morning there are many indications that it's hit its bottom and that we're on the way up, and so i uh frantically rebought into uh amazing how to say this I bought back into one thing that I had not not that I had gotten out of but that was now at a better price, and then I bought into shares of various different things that I wanted to have more of because the omens and portents of them doing well is good and they were kind of on sale. But as you might imagine, you're trying to do all that while like watching, okay, is this really going back up or is it just a blip and I'm buying into further losses? And it's, I know this is a ridiculous thing. You know, I really am in it as an investor, not as a trader. I really don't care what happened tomorrow or what's going to happen tomorrow. I care what's going to happen in three, five, 10 years, but trying to You know, market timing is ridiculous unless you have some tools that can say, I know that what I bought into is fundamentally good companies. And at least for those good companies, what can I learn from technical analysis as to have they have they hit the bottom? And so here's hoping that from all of the reading of the chicken guts, the entrails, and so forth, that I really Tea did take. are better. Exactly. I, I really should have just, you know, oh mighty, uh, you know, sacrifice a goat, whatever. But what's interesting is it. I've never been also one of the ones where it's like I really, if you're a day trader, you really try to get in and out of things quickly, and those little ups and downs are what really matter. Whereas to me. If I, for instance, the market really rallied this morning, it opened like 5% up. And it was like, oh, if only I would have, you know, a momentary thought is, if only I would have bought in last night, because that's when I was doing my analysis. If I would have had my market orders ready to do go right at the open, I could have gained a little bit. But that's the whole point is, it's not about what did I lose in the first 10 minutes of trading today. It's how, how am I going to do in the next five oh, years? Wow. And so getting in on the, the low point of a nice upwards lightning bolt All that was worth letting myself, if you will, be distracted this morning away from getting ready for us. (laughs)
0: Let me ask. um, So let's say you put in $1,000 two years ago, and that's the only real money you've taken out of your bank account and put into your trading accounts. And you've been saying how they've been going up, meaning, uh, oh, the interest on the shares were up. So now today I've got $1,100. Now that money was reinvested. It's compounding and it keeps going up. Exactly. So when you say everything's down, I'm taking it to mean that you had uh, gone up. So your overall account was like at $3,000, but it's down. So suddenly you're back down to 1900 In reality, your bank yes. account money is still there. You're just less on what you've earned to this to at that, that point.
1: That's exactly right. In fact, I may, probably, of course, that's the way I should have started off with. It wasn't that suddenly I was lower Just than when it. I started two years ago it was um, I hit my high probably um, February of this year and where I was like Wow. You know, I, and I've been saying all along, well, this is so nice. I was expecting to make just beat market indices and make like 30% to their 8 or 10 or 15. Right. Well, I've been consistently making like a hundred percent a year. Right. It's been ridiculous. Well, giving back some of that hundred percent still means that I get to be over the course of, you know, two, two years and three months, um, 80% up a year. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't lose half my value. I lost maybe 15%, but on, it looks like it's a big thing, but you realize that you know this upwards uh, lightning bolt ever upwards. When you go down a certain amount, just from the, the the slope of the down, the the gravity of it, it looks really bad. But yes, I was still ahead, and so, so it's more like I don't want to give up my gains, as opposed right. to oh boy, time to start eating dog food and you know circle the wagons in terms of Colleen's and my finances. Right. I'm I'm just trying to so the, the overall.
0: Go ahead, please. Uh, I was gonna say, so, so mm-hmm. something you bought two days ago, and you spent ten dollars on. Uh, suddenly, it dropped. So now that ten dollars might have really only been worth six dollars or four dollars or something. Right. But right. you turned around and bought another thirty or forty dollars worth. So now, when it goes back up you bought at an even lower amount so that amount you earn when it goes up is going to be greater so that's the what the day traders do they they look at those minute little things On an hourly, daily, minute-by-minute basis.
1: Exactly. They're always trying to make every single trade end up higher than what they bought it at, that they they very much limit their losses and they very much pursue gains, and that they are out of the market at the end of every day and at the end of every trade instead of having to worry about, while I'm not watching it, what's happening. You know what I mean? So, it um, like I said, in the overall, my – attitude continues to be good because it's kind of like, you know, when you did good at the tables in Vegas and you're playing with the house's money, you really don't mind giving some of it back because the prospect of what you could make with additional play is there. It really is only where, wow, now, now I, whatever that revelation, that terrible revelation of, okay, I'm back to even, I'm no longer playing with the house's money. Now I'm once again playing with the stake that I brought to Vegas. And that's when you should like, maybe this is not the right frame of mind. Maybe I should get away from this table and go walk around a little bit and have a drink and play another game. You know, go play some poker instead of playing blackjack or whatever else it might be. Because very much what I try to do is I'm not at all an emotional investor. You know, I do a ton of research before I pick these stocks. And then I do not, I really don't do every day-to-day market timing, but my stop losses are based on their volatility. So I'm aware of which things are, uh, they go up and down, even in drastic markets by 20%, some things go up and down by 70%. And not in a day, but in just in that ever upwards thing, right. there, there's huge swings. And so some of the things out of my own desire to sleep at night, as much as there's usually more uh, risk means more reward, you know, you get a, a better hit. You, 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 there's a penalty when it goes down that much, but when it goes up that much, it's that much sweeter. But I just don't. And so it's kind of funny. This has been so uninformative. I have stocks like Fastly, you know, which is it's a a place that specializes in um, edge server processing. So that data that needs to be very, very quick for lots of different customers, they set up server farms to make it. So that, um, the net, the internet
0: overall is that much more responsive to everybody. And so, so people like day traders that need the, the stock information yes, immediately. <laughs>
1: exactly. And, and hopefully it's kind of funny. There really is a whole subculture. And Michael Lewis actually wrote a huge book about this where, you know, those people that financial data in, in split second trading that it means a lot to, they're willing to pay a lot. They'll, they'll work out of, a terrible building like on the Hudson River in, uh, am I right here about this, you know, some, either the Brooklyn or the whatever, the East River in New York, but that also happens to be right next to the point of presence from AT&T and various different backbone companies. And so, because that's where they're going to be able to jack their line, as directly as you possibly can, the least amount of you know fiber, the best right. amount of electrons flowing. <laughs> you know what I mean. So they get that incredible quick response time, and and so I this company, it really is more. I think uh, the build out that's been causing is because of the amazing growth of video in the United States. As we have more and more on demand video places, like that's, that's rich media. <laughs> like this, it's amazing that you and I can see with reasonable clarity each other in real time though we're 60 miles apart or whatever else yeah you know what i mean and so that's what's caused a lot of and and even before fastly i don't know why the company's name is escaping me but there there's been a couple places that said this is a good play it's not so much for the consumers it's a business to business thing where they go to the big like netflix you know we'll we'll build you a big server farm that lets your content be distributed around the united states so geographically you have much advantage and by concentrations of users you'll have advantage and and so um that's a good play, if you will, right, right. but they also go up and down by 70%. You know, they're one of those that, that the market really likes them and then really doesn't like them. And any, um, re- information available to them is much overreacted. And so, whereas I initially bought in relatively large because their business tale is very convincing, I just didn't like that I can't sleep at night knowing that I've got, you know, thousands of dollars at stake and, it transforms from two to 20 to 10 to, do you know what I mean? It, it's right, it's right. crazy. That, that's so. why
0: I, I wouldn't want to do uh, day trading uh, because Absolutely typically, not. typically, and you know, we talk about the graphs. <laughs> if you look at that, in fact, when yeah. I'm doing the production for our podcast and if I zoom in on our audio, they, they're like big waves and there's lots of space and stuff. But if I crunch it all down and view the whole thing, it, it's almost one solid wave. Right, that's harder to
1: differentiate between what's going on then exactly.
0: And uh, you know, I for me, I'm like, okay, I know if I go into a day trading situation, I would be staring at these things so minutely close and I'd see (laughs) these jumps up and down, it would drive you crazy. But when you take the last five years' worth and look at that graph, it's more of a little jigs, but it tends to go up gradually. So that's That's you know. And that's what they recommend, you know, balance it out, get some investments that are going to grow slowly over time, get some that may be highly volatile with risk, but you might get a lot of return. And, you know, there's, we talk about this a lot, you know, everything's kind of on a scale. Some people are just like, I just invested it. I'm done until I retire. Other people are like, I want to check it every couple months and see where things are generally going or take some of that big gain and move it into the slower gain. And then there's other people that go daily, you know, minute by minute, you know, 36 hours a day. Yeah. It's
1: kind of funny. I'm in an uncommon, uh, uh, I'm I'm uncharacteristic of the market at large because um, ordinarily I'm in my 60s. I would have been doing all kinds of rebalancing. You know, what you just talked about is that whatever I might have been aggressive when I was 25 years old and take on more risk in order to make more money over the course of time and know that there's going to be fluctuations, but that I'll have time to recover, if you will. Well, my time to recover is less, but I'm still quite aggressive in my portfolio. You know, when I just talked about hey, 70% volatility, I still have all kinds of companies that are not 2% volatility, like a nice solid blue chip industrial, but that are, mine are between 20 and 70, let's say. And the reason that I can do that is because Colleen has investments that are wonderfully conservative. You know, she's got various different, um, track the index type things and various different, um, let's say overall, she's she's got all the diversity that I would be looking to rebalance towards. She's already taken care of that. So while she's the anchor that makes sure that we're going to earn a certain base uh, percentage every single year, I'm not swinging for the fences, but I sure am taking on many, many more calculated risks in order to say, if I am willing to do the research and have my aggressive posture earn us money. Between the two of us, it kind of balances out. That you know, of, of the pots of money that we have, uh, our overall is kind of funny. When I keep talking about, hey, I've made two hundred and thirty percent. Well, really, we've made I don't know one hundred and twenty percent because hers are very conservative balance. and mine, and and so the the overall balance is there. And I think that it's I've gamified this. You know, people talk about doing this kind of thing. That if you're looking to, um uh get advantage from all you've learned about gaming and apply it to a real world situation. It often works. And so and so I'm not like this is a kind of game where I don't have to watch every single move that's being made, but I am trying to make that every single move I make is um it takes in all these things I've learned from the past. It does the best guess at what's going to happen for the future. As I watch over the course of time, I do adjust my strategies instead of just buying and sitting and holding on to it. I keep trying to, like, as the other players make their moves, the game shifts. And so, you know, hey, they just bought up all the stone. Now I'm not going to be able to build. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's uh there's. Rough analogies with any kind of resource management game, any kind of trying to outthink your opponent game. But what's interesting is maybe the reason that I liked, I took this on and I pursued it was I was always pretty good at games like Acquire or where you're buying property and you don't have to um, monopolize anything. You just have to stay ahead of everybody else by a little bit in order to have that pay off. You know, so the merging of hotel chains in Acquire. It, it really isn't that you have to own guaranteedly 13 out of 25 shares to have the majority. You just have to keep track of what everybody else is doing. And if you know that they've got seven and you've got eight, you still get a big bonus for being the commanding shareholder, if you will. Right. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do here is I know that the market is efficient that everybody else has this information. And there's people that do this for a real living that have much faster and much deeper access to information. But it's not so rigged a game that I couldn't say, well, given that I have those slight disadvantages against me, I'm still a good pattern finding mutant. I still make a series of good bets. You know what I mean? So, and and part of why I kept monitoring it was I wasn't sure that when I started, very much what I had approached this with with, with gambit and my artificial intelligence things back 20 years ago was that. I was trying to find something that would be a virtual me and then just let it run instead of it being that day-to-day. How much time would it take day-to-day for me to get to this confidence level? And so the reason that I kept track on a day-to-day was, how am I doing? And as I got into 10 and 20 and 40 and 50 stocks, it was, well, am I half and half? No, I'm actually like 55 out of 60 that I've picked winners and that a lot of the winners that I picked have done really well. So on the on the basis of overall out of my portfolio, how good was I at picking them and on the basis did I pick really big winners, all those things were working. And then it's kind of a virtuous cycle where keep doing what has been working, keep finding the next good stock, keep putting more money into the stocks that are working and let it work for you. Those things getting making money and it being reinvested and that making more money. So again, it's kind of funny. I, I know this isn't the stock report, but As I was going through my list of what I want to be in, and I and like I said, because I had bailed out of some things, I had a a pot of money that I was going to be able to reinvest and I wanted to get it in so that my money's in the market working for me. And so I was going through and saying, well, I really want to be in these 10. And then I looked at, well, the stake I already have in these 10 is high enough that I don't need to put any more money and I've already got a big block of money working for me. And if they do well, that'll be okay. But from the timing of when I put things in and so, for instance, Mercado Libre is a big success story for me. I think I've made 230%, you know, really in it. And instead of having to put more money into it, it's like, well, let's just let that money keep working. Whereas um, Etsy or Pinterest, which I I had probably half that stake in, it's like, well, let's just bump them up to, I don't know, you know, um, more each or something like that to just, and and I was also thinking, let's not make a big bet. I don't have the confidence in how this odd, um, the market is currently really responding to the stimulus package, the rising perhaps of interest rates and the the slight turn away from stocks as the only thing worth investing in for the last couple of years I've been blessed by because the fed has kept interest rates at zero and there's no money to be made in bonds. Anybody who was trying to make any kind of money was turning away from both governmental and a lot of cases, corporate bonds and always being in the stock market. And now that the stock market might not be the only play, there's automatically a little leakage towards the places that have wanted to be in bonds to have something more conservative. But if, if, and again, it's kind of funny to be the financial report. And because this is geekery, I kind of can't believe this kind of thing happens. You know, at one point they broke the dollar and that's a phrase for when usually if you put money with the bank and buy a CD or any kind of money market fund, they'll pay you a little bit right for the privilege of now they have your their money uh your money to use for their investments. A lot of banks, and not so much in the United States, but in, in uh, international, had started to actually charge people for keeping money at their bank because the even their most conservative money market or other just just uh most liquid assets that the bank was saying we can't make any money on this for the the safety that we offer for the liquidity that we offer we're going to charge you to keep your money with us and
0: i kind Back of couldn't to the believe
1: yeah that that people would actually say okay that's a good deal i would have thought people would have fled whatever com- companies and countries those were and said i'm going to a place that at least values my money when you find out about the huge world of international finance that there really are reasons for places to in offering pseudo stability to their customers They'll actually keep their money in the most secure Swiss accounts, losing money (laughs) while the rest of the world is saying, well, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't be. So reason for saying all of that is, you know, the fact that that um, the market had been doing things like a lot of systems didn't even have what what's your bond rate? It can't go negative. They didn't even have a way to put that into their system for what's going to happen when and, and with so those you know I mean? dang old computers two K exactly. problem. Not just the Y two K problem, exactly that. You know, and, and Colina's talked about this that she had she had systems which were clients where they didn't have a way of showing like negative returns on various yeah. different ultra conservative oh, things because they I've never anticipated those. this could happen. Right. And so Staying away, obviously, from those kinds of things, but just going into whatever is interesting. I, I, uh, I was very much into tech and there's been a certain amount of, and it's kind of funny. You can't really attribute human emotions, but there is irrational exuberance in the markets. And so when you see that there's certain people that like, they're not only, um worried about being in tech, they're happy to take their revenge on it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They've, they've watched these things go up and they know that it's the price earnings ratio, which is, a usual measure of being able to say what the company putting money into that company is worth what you expected your expected returns are and especially when you have your bond rate go up all the money that's in those companies has been based on growth and getting to profitability it really affects those a lot because now the the illusion that you've bought into of future dollars are worth kind of the same as current dollars if interest rates are low suddenly that really is a big thing and a big multiplier depending on how long you look out at so if a company's been saying hey we're going to be profitable in five seven ten years and you're thinking i don't have any confidence in two years that the dollar is going to be worth same now as then and so when it starts to affect things like the 10-year treasury like, you know, not T-bill or T-bond. I'm, I'm trying to think which, you know, there's certain long-term rates that when they change, the whole market says, okay, we're kind of in a new phase now. We're kind of in a different place. And, and so that's why a lot of the high growth and a lot of the high tech was really being battered because while these things are all about growth and getting to be a better and better business, they're not necessarily about profitability. And the things you've used to judge them have been like, Uh, available cash and they've come up with metrics that let you still differentiate between these various different companies so that it's not being compared to what's your company worth well we have a lot of physical plants and so those are our assets then we have these outstanding liabilities as to who we owe money and you you can do that kind of standard gap analysis well that doesn't apply to it it doesn't apply well realistically to all kinds of high-tech companies and so The people that want those gap rules to apply equally across the board, that's kind of getting back around to what I was saying. They're happy to punish these new things they had to learn about high-flying tech companies because they want it to be that, nope, there's one rule for everybody. And even though we know that you don't have any physical plant, you've got intellectual property, you've got network effects, you've got all the hallmarks of new tech companies we just don't feel comfortable pricing it to us it's just we used to have one grab bag called goodwill that was how we we had you know money on the balance sheet that wasn't real but that it somehow had to be accounted for because this company has a long standing brand and all that kind of stuff it had an asset that was kind of undefinable and now they've had to deal with the last 20 i'd even call it 40 years worth of less and less definable financial instruments that they have to use to judge these companies and so it's kind of, fine. I hope you don't mind me going off on the rant, but there's like interesting geeky philosophy in this. When you see that there's real emotionality in people that have been in this business for 20 and 30 and 40 years, and they liked it when they were the master of all that they knew and that right. they could kind of like talk down to people about, well, that doesn't make any sense. And yet, <laughs> while they were saying about that doesn't make any sense, the um, the Teslas and the Facebooks and the Amazons and the Netflixes of the world were turning into amazing companies and all the advice that they gave to all their clients saying don't believe in that netflix stuff don't believe in that amazon stuff they had huge egg on their face yeah. for not having said i have to find a way to value this because it really is becoming an amazing world spanning titan of a thing it's worth cabillions of dollars now the, the and yet tech,
0: they missed the boat the you know? tech is definitely <laughs> you know 20 20ish years ago tech definitely was not what they were used to was not the normal uh, company and Absolutely. it, it change things. And it still is though. Now they're catching up a little bit. And yeah. I, I want to jump back. You mentioned uh, you, you gamified things and I think that's hilarious because immediately <laughs> the first thought that I thought of was the game pit, which is uh you know based on stock trading uh love that game have a great time with it uh especially because you know we've got eight people in our family so it works very well works very well Um, that's yeah a whole family game
1: exactly
0: but as you mentioned it's i mean there's a lot of geekness to the trading you know uh, you put your your analytical mind on it and like you know you me and lots of other (laughs) nerds and geeks we like those puzzles we like those things to solve and figure out. And okay, so which stock is going to go up? Which is going to go down? What's a good one to buy? When should I sell? And that's very puzzle-like. And it's probably also why so many of our contemporary friends like things like civilization and SimCity and you know all those other things. Because it's get the resource, build the city. Do I want to put this here or that there? Do I build this up? Do I put more money in that? And it's the same type of thing. I can see that. You know, once you give the day trader geeks all these tools, why it, bec- it changes the landscape of things. Right.
1: One of the things that I've tried to do is, you know, I know that a lot of those tools are available and they tout themselves as being you too can be an Imezo trader because our statistics will tell you that. And what I've discovered is that I do really well with fuzzy logic, as they call it. You know, another thing they've tried to simulate is that um, – computers for a long time have been excellent at doing precise calculations much quicker than human beings can do when you get to a precise answer. But there's all kinds of things in this world that um, don't necessarily follow that. You know, when you're trying to say, um, how dry are my clothes that they're time to take them out of the dryer and trying to do it where there's an exact algorithm that figures that out may, meant many over dry or under dry clothing, but they figured out a way to do it with like fuzzy logic circuits that say, "How does it feel to a human being? How does it?" On the overall, the batch has thirty elements in it—pieces of clothing. What's the overall? And and so finding out how they did that with um, neural networks, with with um, relative ways of judging, combinatorial explosion. Think of pro, pro, uh, problems that have all kinds of ways of the the number of solutions and the number of elements involved in those solutions is so large that it gets multiplicative and geometric and incredibly difficult quickly. What do you do to get your uh, mind and your programming mind around that solution space to say, it doesn't have to be exact and perfect. It has to be good enough. And if I'm good enough, 99 times out of 100, then I declare that I'm now an expert system. <laughs> and right. that's, you know what I mean? To human beings, I've just now, so I know how to make sure that my rice in my rice cooker is always perfectly done, or my dryer works, or my stock trading works. And he said, again, applying a ridiculous blunt analogy to something that really, it isn't exactly the same in each of those circumstances, but I've discovered that that, uh, not if not only tolerance for, but even embrace of uncertainty that people don't get paralyzed by. I know I don't know everything and yet I have to make a decision. And so on balance, I'm going to go with this, this combination of numbers and my gut and hope for the future and fear of the future and whatever else it might be. But then as you do that and you see that you've been correct, at least correct enough that you didn't, get out of the game because you're really losing or make it like, well, this game can't be this easy. Um, you You get confidence in your ability to apply some of those same stochastic as well as indeterminate things. And you just keep part of the practice of it is saying, I have to make a decision. I can't let analysis paralysis kick in and say, because I don't know everything, all of my inputs, I can't come to an output, but you have to give me an output right now. Give me an answer. And, and so it's kind of cool to be I don't think that I'm mightier than all the programmatic trading out there, but so far I haven't totally succumbed either. I've made a whole bunch of good choices just on the basis of, I know I have incomplete information and I know that if I do it at the start of the day versus the end of the day, that my mind is in a different place. Am I tired or, or whatever else it might be? It's been at least heartening <laughs> to know that, like I said, and by that gamifying, I had to, one of the things you have to do, I think, is give yourself remove you have to sit back from, oh my God, it's my money involved. And this is, you know, I don't want to be eating dog food and my well, kid has to go to college and, and I, all that kind of stuff. You I know, think you that's,
0: like- you know, for you, <laughs> not having Colleen as the backup, that gives you the freedom. And and here's the thing I, and, I feel true. myself, I've discovered. If yeah. it was only you and this was only your money that you were investing in, you would probably be a much more nervous wreck. You'd probably be a little more uptight. You may not be as... Uh, willing to, Hey, I'll just try this or let's see how this goes. Or, Oh, it went down. Well, I guess I better move it. You'd be like, Oh my God. And you'd probably be much more stressed about it. And the, and the funny thing is that because you are not stressed and because you are a little more free and open and it's you know relaxed, you make choices that actually, uh, skyrocket and they make it even better. So by being stressed about not wanting to lose your money You'd probably earn less money, but because you're relaxing, you don't care as much. You're making choices that you're earning even more money. Honestly,
1: <laughs> that's what you said is all very, very insightful. You know, and, and like again, gamifying is like that. You have to say, "I know as a human being that I don't judge odds well when I'm under pressure, when I'm feeling that." You know, human beings will do a lot to avoid disaster far more than the chance of that disaster happening. Anthony that's Robbins, based pain on and pleasure. That. Absolutely. And so not only, and I want, I know that also my mind works better. Like I'm much um faster, quicker, smarter when I'm running nice, cool, blue, green, and I'm joking about things. And I'm like, so... Uh, how I did on Jeopardy was so much based on that I wasn't my usual, like just sitting around throwing out cool facts and everything coming to be unbidden. It was, Oh my God, I'm on TV and my wife and my parents are here watching me and I really got to do well. This is, you know, Oh my God. And it wasn't, I know Jeopardy was not the goal of a lifetime. Like some people make it out to be, but I really wanted to do well. You know, can I play with the big boys? But absolutely. The physical signs that I was going through of having butterflies in my stomach and and like really feeling like, man, I got to pop some Dijon. I don't want to like vomit on camera. Well,
0: because I would edit that out. So it's okay. I
1: I, I was going to say, I should have just counted on, you know, that would not make for good TV. They'll take care of me. (laughs) (laughs) But am I getting those feelings? Let me know I'm not in my usual best frame of mind. This isn't jokey, Al. This isn't make a pun and make an association and, and, and just be effortlessly a smarty. It was some more stressed version, and that evidenced itself when it when I had really. Anyway, you know what I mean. I knew yeah, it. absolutely. I, it. I absolutely. couldn't seem to come out of it. I didn't have that, whatever that thing is about the hour between dog and wolf, where you change from a nice dog to like you're the perfect hunting machine. <laughs> I couldn't seem to summon that as well as I do. I'm just doing it casually in this mindset.
0: My Is definitely a thing nowadays. They've kind of you know put that name to it. But you know, I I discovered this long ago, back in my music days. uh, If I was super nervous about a lick or a class or something I was playing in front of people, I would be a little more tight. I'd be thinking too hard and overthinking and not paying attention to just the music. The times when I said, yeah, whatever, I don't care, are. Almost 100% the times when our band won the contest, or uh, people come up to me afterwards and go, Oh my God, that was so good. Because the little mistakes that I was so worried about, people don't notice as much because there was a warmth and a feeling to the music. But when you're uptight and you're trying to hit it so perfect, it takes that joy out of it. And I, when I tried to, Show my kids that uh, I we went to several festivals and stuff, and there was always live bands, and okay. we'd be listening to a live band, and I'd be like, "So what do you guys think of them?" They're like, "Yeah, they're okay." I'm like, "Right, they're playing everything." Fine, they're hitting all the notes. Perfectly. But there's no, but not- yeah, there's no soul to it. There's no feeling to it. And you go back and listen to those old blues guys and the piano and New Orleans. And stuff.
1: all the time. They're yeah. putting themselves and, into their music. Sure. And, sure.
0: and it, you know, you, you hear it. And it's not precise. It's a little off. uh They may hit a key incorrectly, and you know, they keep going. Overall, you think about it. so, uh, and you know, I mentioned that just with your stocks, but overall, that's something I've tried to do uh with my writing now i talk about that every other week it seems but the, yeah. the times when my mind's going a million miles and i got a million things going on and i'm so worried about getting this done or getting the writing the sound right pff, the first weekend i wrote anything on my first book i got like fifteen thousand words in so it's like five thousand words a day friday sunday
1: right, out of you whenever, when yeah. when everything is set up correctly and, exactly and it's yeah. still
0: I still think it's still good writing. When I go read it, I'm like, yeah, this is pretty good. There's some things I fixed and changed, but it, yeah. overall, you got a good feeling from it. So, you know, people who talk about mindset, it, that's definitely a thing that yeah. you know people should be aware of.
1: Exactly. I, I know I've talked about this before, but let, let's get you know some detail. I love the concept of flow. There's a guy named Mihai Chiksent Mihai that wow, I think it's got to be 30 years ago, wrote a great book, Flow, that I discovered early in getting out of college and it so much encapsulated uh, that thing I got when I was coding and it wasn't coding like under deadline and, you know, you have to get this done. It was, okay, it's the start of the semester and we've been given a series of things we have to get by the end of the semester. Let's just play around and see what happens and how many things I was able to get to a interesting, quick, early solution just by playing around, just by, uh, and it's not only, it is, Go to your best place, go to a place where I was isolated, that there were no distractions except what I put in, my music and my lighting and and my peanut M&M snack or whatever else it might be. You know, people that could do that in the library with all of the people stopping by and saying hi and just that overall random susurrus of noises from people shuffling books or whatever else it might be. I would never been able to do my best work. I'm very much more a caves and commons type guy where when I need to get something done, I go off in my cave. I go by myself and control my environment. And you can't always summon it, but you have a much better chance of summoning it when you've created that perfect environment for, I'm the master of my surroundings. I'm not going to have any distractions. My mind starts to hold more while it's working on things. So instead of just handling, you know, three uh, uh, short-term and seven long-term or the other way around, I really was, my whole program could be in my head and you can see how things have to work and anticipate whatever, make a little mental note to yourself. Oh, I'm going to have to create the data structure for that. That's also going to be able to have, be, you know, in a subroutine call that's going to get it. And, and the ability to make all that happen, maybe take little notes on the side that you don't want to have to load it all in your head. And, and, it's, and it's not only coding, it's playing music, like you were saying, any number of musicians. It's mountain climbing, or especially rock climbing, that you're not thinking with gravity about every single thing you're doing. You're seeing it as this overall dance up the side of a mountain. And being a pilot is like that, where you're the, you just, you kind of zen your way out of your surroundings, and you are connected in a way that is not easily summonable in a very distracted interruptive world and so that's one of the things that like when i'm up here working on coding or music or uh, stock trading i try to give myself okay you know when i'm writing i don't like to have um any lyrics because somehow there's a little bit of a disconnect between my words coming out and listen to somebody else's lyrics so when i'm writing i'll often have osric tentacles or um weather report or something that's just pure instrumental because it's got energy and it's got interesting like flow itself in the music but i don't want to be uh, distracted by what somebody else is saying right. and so you know you, you kind of like again you'd learn over the course of time what works for you um some people they really have to have it perfectly quiet whereas i all i love having music all right. the Me time too. Me too. And, and, and so isn't that you know it i would hope like just that the fact that you've got multiple activities writing and music and things in your past that that now when you have to write you really well I think we've each had our experiences of, okay, kids, daddy needs writing time. I really need you to just not bother me for an hour. It doesn't have to be for the entire day. I'm not abandoning my family, but I will be hyper productive if you just leave me the hell alone. Yes. And unfortunately, in various different consulting gigs, or I've been in situations where no matter how much I'll put up that sign saying, please don't interrupt me. They, everybody else's concerns are their concerns. And so of course they, they have to ask you in the middle of what you thought was going to be your great working session. And so why did I end up, how, how often have I ended up working? Not nine to five, but nine to eight. Because when f- everybody finally goes home for the day, in that two and a half, three hours after everybody's gone, I can get everything done for the day that you couldn't get when it was meetings and phone calls and emails and BS that were everybody else's concerns. Right.
0: For for you me, it, I mean? it's it's starting <laughs> but, earlier, like five o'clock. You know, so See, I get I, a couple I hours.
1: Do that well. I like staying late and outlasting instead of getting early and beating everybody I, in. But it works, I so used.
0: Yeah. I used to do that when I was younger, and as I got older, it switched. Um, Interesting I, I, I want to connect, and I got to jump. So we were talking about the um, stocks and a little bit about the computer stuff, uh, and I mentioned publishing. So, have you heard of GPT two and GPT three?
1: No,
0: I have not. Oh, oh man, Al, this is right up your alley. GPT. These are some very largely trained data sets of AI. And GPT-3 is um, trillions and trillions of uh, gigabytes of data, trillions and trillions of okay. exabytes of data that yeah. they fed into it. Essentially, everything on the internet is the data source. Cool. And it's AI that you can get it to do things. Well, what what GPT-2 is old it's a year old gpt3 is the new one yeah right they were like when gpt2 was first out they didn't want to release it to the people because they said it was too dangerous and now it's like well here it is because we've got G- gpt3 um but what an interesting term too dangerous because of what you can, okay what you can do with it because okay so you, you know on the internet all the clickbait articles news articles in that sure Probably like eighty percent or more of those are written by AI now and then briefly edited by a human, so okay. that's what g p t two can do among other things. so I actually the cool thing about g p t two is you can get it to run on your local computer and feed it your own data sets um so of so course,
1: writing a story using certain key terms and names and stuff like that well, is that's what they've been,
0: yes, that's advertising what advertising yeah okay. So, for example, let's say we take all 120 years or whatever of the New Yorker and the Washington Post and Vogue magazine, whatever, just throw all these similar magazines into the data set. And each have their
1: own kind of linguistic style. And you're saying, write me an article as if it was going to be in the New Yorker and it would simulate that voice. Okay. Okay.
0: Um, So I played with one of these. And like I said, you can install this and not... (laughs) Let me back up for Windows people and Mac people that say, oh, install. It's not a click button. (laughs) I was on Linux. I was typing commands in the terminal. And you have to do quite a few jumping through hoops to get it working. But uh, for example, uh, I just randomly took one of my stories, took like the first 200 words and fed it into the prompt and let it go. And it was not a complete good story. (laughs) But it was wild. Um, I mean, it. it have had- seen things about
1: this, but I didn't know it was called GPT two. Where they really were doing like computer generated music, computer generated prose. That's and, the- like interesting. Yeah, okay. they're working
0: on with G T. Okay, so the really cool thing about GPT three is the big names that have invested in it. Microsoft has literally invested millions of dollars into it because they are going to use it with office coming up and some of their other products. Um, so put an
1: opening paragraph in and then say, finish this memo for me or something yes, like that.
0: Or, you know, what, what could come next? And uh, right now, I think a lot of it actually is being used, like I said, for news articles. Um, so when you read one of these news articles and you're like, well, they're kind of repeating the same thing or they – wait, they didn't tell me this. Probably it was a computer-generated AI that a yes. human editor did not – look very closely because they're they're spitting out hundreds of these a day so instead of having 100 people on staff they've got two and they've got this computer model spitting them out
1: oh my god and i have had that exactly that experience of this doesn't ring true it doesn't sound like a human being wrote this it sounds like they put in mentioned these five things and put in enough connective tissue
0: to make it into a shambling zombie of a story i read an article yesterday the clickbait headline i'm like wow really it was something boston education it was like something like uh this kid uh failed uh 80 of his classes and still graduated top in his Class, and okay. then the next thing said this kid passed eighty percent of his classes. I'm like, wait, wait so a second.
1: Contradictory. Okay, yeah. oh, man.
0: so what I was does, like, oh, does 80% stand for? Like
1: uh, general. Uh, sh-
0: programming something. something Yeah, i don't remember
1: I'll have, obviously as soon as I'll we're have, done i'm googling the hell out of things and right. i'll go find out about this okay
0: so they're saying how more and more of this will get used but it's still not even next five to ten years it's not going to be ready for you to just hit a button and it spits out um a okay. book but mm-hmm. um have you heard of lit rpg no, no. I, it was it, it actually came about in the late 70s with D some um uh who wrote neck uh, necronomicon uh um oh,
1: well abdul bel Al-Hazrad, but uh it, it, you know that, that's the supposed um, the,
0: what's the cyberpunk uh not necronomicon uh, uh so
1: probably bruce sterling or Str- um
0: anyway i'm holding things up i'll look it up
1: no it, it the, the same guy that wrote uh neuromancer right yeah so, that's uh, what i'm
0: thinking of neuromancer uh one of those Right. I th- might have been him. Uh, might have been Gibson or Norton. I forget. I'm sorry. But anyway, he wrote a story where a bunch of D D players got transported into their game,
1: okay. and
0: in then throughout the after that, the 80s, 90s, 2000s, Russians just lit on it. They they had all of these stories. Just that was a whole genre. And yeah. And Americans have been having to have uh, translated copies to read. Well, like five, six years ago, a bunch of people said, why don't we start writing our own? And Lit RPG came about. It's basically a group of people trapped in a dungeon or a video game. And it's a story basically hero, basically story. Um, it's called lit RPG. Well, there is an author. I was listening to a podcast that he has used GPT three to write his last, like five books. Um, he's, he gets a book done in a month. Now, again, he feeds it a prompt and it spits out some stuff and he edits and takes out or whatever. And then he takes some more of that, feeds it back in, it spits out the next part. So he's guiding it the whole way. And, uh, you know, if it's going in a direction he doesn't like, he cuts that out. He refeeds it back in. But it's assisted by AI.
1: Exactly. And like that, you know, like you said, turning out 15,000 words in a weekend is not a common thing that people can do. No, They're not If they get 1,000 words a day, 100 yeah. words a day of quality prose. And so just that, having something where you kind of have an idiot savant working for you and you can – as you said, put things in, excise things that aren't working, but then the delight of, well, I hadn't thought of that, but indeed, that's the direction that I want this story to go. Let's try that. And it, it really, it's like having a a really sharp assistant. And, and so just like James Patterson has a million and one co-authored books, right. this is your co-author and it doesn't right. even have the overhead of like needing f- you know air and water <laughs> right
0: and, and besides power, but <laughs> besides whole stories there are places online that you can go to and use this technology to create names for characters uh okay. both for books or D. but they also helped with world building so if you're making a campaign in dungeons and dragons it helps build all the cities the people that populate it and the descriptions yeah. of what they look like and where the objects are and boom it's done and that's Huge for a dungeon master.
1: See, absolutely. I mean, that's what I was going to say. The, the um, I know having been involved like in college and creating a virtual world. Boy, there's a lot of tedium in being god in making sure that every creature, every item, every you know what I mean, every location rings true, and that the interactions between them are are proportionate. And, and a quick story. I remember being in the game once where they had. Uh, you discovered items, and they had a whole list of items that there were. There were, you know, increasingly odds were you can find a bastard sword pretty easily. Well, they somebody found Thor's hammer. They found Mjolnir, and of course. The game totally fell apart. You can't right. be like doing a pud run in a dungeon and have someone say plink with the hammer and destroy the level six golem that you thought was going to really be difficult, and and so you know just that it's it's the playability is often a matter of balance, and but the real world sometimes does offer incredible weird out of place against the odds types things right. and you want it, but you can't have that in a story where well I was interested in this, but now the guy all of a sudden has god powers and what what thing, other than his own personal journey of he's going to be corrupted by the god powers, otherwise what enemy can stand before him? And, you know what I mean? It could spoil the story instead of enhancing the story.
0: Uh, How interesting. I I always had a problem with any of the RPGs, uh, both tabletop, paper-based, and even in you know games, that, okay, well, look, now I'm super powerful. Now I've got this great shield and armor and sword and these magic spells. Right. Okay, but now they're throwing these other creatures at you that are just as big and powerful. So to me... The battles against kobolds at level one felt about the same as the battles against the gods at level twenty-five.
1: Exactly, and honestly, that's one of the first best uses of AI in in gaming was to make sure that the game scaled up as you did. That the the trials you went through, the creatures that you met, the traps you had to defeat were were just as death-defyingly difficult for you at level 30 as they were at level two. Right. You know what I mean? So, right.
0: so with this AI, I can see, like if Microsoft ties into it with Xbox games, just think about that. You know, we've got Minecraft. I don't know if you've ever played Minecraft, but I'm sure you know of it.
1: Right. Um, and, I, and I tried it, but it wasn't as fascinating to me because it was so primitive in comparison to other things that I'm spoiled by. Right. But anyway.
0: I, yeah. Well, they have a seed. And a lot of games use seeds to generate the world. And essentially, if you have the seed code... Uh, because the algorithms use that to build out the world. So if you have the seed code, you can recreate the game for anyone else. So you could get the exact same game over and over. But other than that, it's some sort of AI-generated world. You know, think about some of these games that, have come out like halo you know every world you go to is some ai generated thing and you, you right. know so it's constantly That's of the that makes
1: for replayability. whenever i play yeah. civilization and i say you know uh, they have nine different kinds of worlds based on a you know, Pangaea single lad mass to a, a ruptured arch- archipelago and i really like trying all the various different things because it it you really have to think differently it's when different. you're a pirate when you're a genghis khan with hordes right. of you know and stuff like that right. so that's yeah. th-
0: that's why i like dominion because you get a different 10 set of cards out and the gameplay changes you can't Absolutely. use the same strategy
1: yeah. uh, like some and I, I, sometimes i will play a game that i know is exactly the kind of game that i like because i want to kind of fall into it and not have to think too much but once in a while i, I really do well and i think i've talked about you know i play diablo a lot and i'll i i play certain characters that i very uh, am very comfortable with i like being a magic user i like being a bruiser but once in a while i'll be like you know i haven't been a uh a thief a a a rogue type character where it's all about your speed and your lightness in combat than it is about kind of uh, being overpowering and it's actually a very interesting your mind goes to this interesting place of wow i'm 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 the quick one this time. I'm not used to being the quick one. I'm used yeah. to always being the standing at the end. You know what I mean? It right, takes a lot right. to be me down. So that's kind of cool to always, one of the wonderful things about RPGs has been the avatar aspect of, I get to be somebody different than right. me. absolutely. Once in a while, it's like, I kind of like that other me. What can I do of that in my real life, back in my real life, that I really could embrace being that you know what yeah, I mean the, yeah, heat see, stuff, the 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 Punisher or whatever else it might be uh,
0: yeah. fortunately for me what ends up happening is I have a racing wheel and I play a racing game and I'll get sucked into the game for hours and then I'll go get in my van and take my kids somewhere and they're like what are you doing Hang on, you know <laughs> okay sorry I'm not in the game world any longer
1: <laughs> Colleen and I have made this comment a dozen times Have you noticed when you're out in real world traffic, it used to be that it was pass on the left, slow on the right. Nowadays, I can't tell you how many times I am in the middle lane and I've had to retrain myself to not only check left in case I'm going to move, but I have to check for somebody coming up on my right and confusing things that if I'm going to get off at the exit, I can't just, I have to count on someone doing an uncharacteristic thing from the way I learned to drive. Forty years ago, and I think that that comes from video games. I think that it comes from that on on a video game, there really isn't any of those rules. You take whatever path you have to to get around the hazard, past the wreck, et cetera, et cetera. And that there's, and it's also the I don't want to be seen by the cops, and it doesn't matter how much this makes it difficult for everybody else. What matters is I I won't be seen by the police, and that so and and honestly, have you ever? I know I talked about this because so watching a football game, and there's only a certain amount of time left, and the guy gets to where he's going to cross the goal line. And instead of crossing the goal line, he parallels the goal line, the entire length, uh, width of the field, and then steps across. And the guy announcer was uh, canny enough to say, where did he learn that? from playing like Madden football, where you're going to try to run out the clock, and not after the kickoff, give the other team time to respond to your score. Right. You're going to like dance around on the field, waiting, not, not giving them. And it, it really was one of those first intrusions of video game play into the
0: real world. We're so in that because when they were 10, they were playing Madden, you know right. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's back. It's a uh, real life cars, you know, the, the, mindset of 20 ish kids is what do you mean i have to take it in and get an oil change i just did that three months ago and and i have to change my tires um and get a what's a balance what's an alignment you know it takes all
1: that for you but in the real world no no you gotta summon those things Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah so okay we're getting close to an hour but before we go let me ask you a question this past week what's the album and what's the book of the past week for you
1: Uh, Wow. So um, I just finished uh, uh, reading the latest Dean Kuntz has a a number of series of his that I really enjoy. The Odd Thomas Books from the Past. He has a great series about Jane Hawke. And this was, I think, the fourth in the series. And a fascinating concept of, of course, there's rogue elements in our government that want to make the world a very nice, controlled place. And so they've developed a mind-control device that you can inject into someone's veins. It um, works its way through your circulatory system to break the blood-brain barrier and kind of install itself as a little... Network on your brain that makes you controllable and either placid or enrageable, depending on how they want to use you, but you are a controlled person. And she lost her husband. And I don't think these are spoilers. Um, He committed suicide because they told him to, and because he was a danger to this combine. And she's certain that. He wouldn't have done that, and of course, she can't stand the loss of him. And so it's you know all these good things, and so that was like a 530 pager that I devoured because it's a great thriller and it's got cool concepts and it's got great characters. The whole supporting cast, it's really really great. So I recommend those without a reservation. I'll have to look those <laughs> okay. Um,
0: well, here in then, my book, I got uh, I read uh, Stranger Things have happened by jeff strand he's one of my favorites it's a ya book so it's not you know necessarily what everybody but i love his comedy and it goes well into that age range that teen age range of books uh and it's about a kid with uh, is he he does magic uh but the best part of the book for me my absolute favorite part was when the two kids were driving in the car listening to weird al i'm like okay that jeff you're showing your age but i like that definitely
1: and i really do love that nowadays there's so much in in fiction and comedy and so forth where instead of acting as if the real world isn't fodder for that many times the characters in the book will talk about like you said what are they listening to on the radio what other books are they as characters reading where they get this phrase in their vocabulary because uh you know they like a mark twain quote and stuff like that and so it's very cool to see that they don't have to come up with it was out of whole cloth that they the way that they yeah. portray the world is all of what you and I have, all those quotes and all those lyrics that are kind of running around in yeah. our heads all the time. And, that's kind of cool. You and know?
0: the one thing I do like about his I mean, obviously, you know, I try and keep up with the that age range literature, because that's what I'm trying to write. And what I love about his stuff is it's it's fantasy, but it's uh uh contemporary modern. Type setting. So this kid was in a middle school, in a high school. It wasn't, you know, medieval with dragons or anything like that. And I can relate to these characters because almost all the time his main characters are the outcast kids the nerd kids the ones that aren't the jocks you know he obviously he i've talked with him he grew up like that (laughs) he would we should probably have him on the podcast um yes but he writes characters like that so for me they're very relatable in that regard so that's you know very special about his books
1: and, and actually, thank you for that. Because one of the things I wanted to mention about the Dean Koontz books was that he has great vocabulary. And so sometimes it's like, I'm just so happy to see he didn't tone it down for the masses, even though it's a mass production paperback, that he really does like uh, throw out big thoughts and things that he's he's working on. His characters talk about it. And also his characters are not cardboard cutouts and not even like standard, oh, he's the tough cop and, and that kind of stuff. they, they, they when he he has the internal life of his characters really be one of the guys, for instance, is a high functioning, um, on the spectrum type person and that he really has to like repeat himself and he can't stand being touched. And, and, you know, the way he deals with risk, um, so much it portrays it and in a wonderfully human way of they're aware that they're not like the rest of people, but they have to do what they do. But it's a real triumph for them to like let a dog lick them because they, can't stand being touched by people but the dog is somehow different he doesn't have any agenda or danger or humanity to him and so it's just the coolest thing that he's able to inhabit like one other guy that is really like a solipsistic nihilist meaning he thinks that all the rest of the world doesn't really exist it's all this play going on in his mind and he talks about how what would the um unknown playwright who really runs the whole show what would he have me do in this situation and so it's a way that makes choices that way yeah that he removes himself and gives him it gives him like a little bit of inhumanity but it also gives him the ability of when the dirty job's got to get done he doesn't have any problem with it he doesn't think there's
0: justice he doesn't think that there's you know what i mean and so that's definitely a different spin on what would jesus do (laughs) like that exactly <laughs> so, I, but that's
1: just i don't know that's not a common thing in other books so i really yeah. like that it's yeah. um i just uh record of, and it's kind of funny a little story a friend of mine just posted that he was listening to criminal record by rick wakeman which rick wakeman keyboardist for yes and various other groups the strobs but really a fantastic keyboardist so he's in that upper three with I, emerson anyway and so um I commented that not only do I love that album, but it was one of those things that wasn't available on CD for like 25 years. And I kept looking for it and looking for it. And I kept like, am I really going to drag the, the turntable out? Because I, God, I missed that album so much. Finally came out on CD and I, I've listened to it probably a dozen times in the last three years because I really love returning to it. My gift to them was, if you want an album that's like that, that every time you listen to it, you love it. It's a, an album called Million Town by a band called Frost. And Frost with a little asterisk on the end of it. So this is a classic, like, you know, unless I told you about it, you never had heard about this, but trust me, it's fantastic. Every cut is great. It's like, it doesn't sound like anything else. Virtuoso musicianship throughout. Cool, odd songs and lyrics. A nice, like the closing song is a nice 20 minute, 23 minute, or something. You know what I mean? Like it's got every aspect of prog rock that you could possibly want. Hey, nice, I'll it's, have to look that up. The way, the way I found out about it was on a prog rock cruise that I was on like five years ago, someone just mentioned, Hey, have you heard of this band? And I was like, Well, that's intriguing. And then when I got it, it was like, Thank you forever, you know, John, for telling me that I never would have stumbled onto this. So, hey, listeners. Hey, Steven. Million Town by Frost, I give you a great gift of, you will love this album. Nice,
0: oh, <laughs> you I'll have to look that me. one up. Uh, okay, so what what I've been listening to isn't uh, as eclectic. Um, some of my podcasts, a lot of author podcasts, uh, they were talking, actually, uh, my friend Jay Thorne was talking to Matthew McConaughey, so okay. uh, I'm like two steps removed from McConaughey now. <laughs> um, but they were talking about how John Cougar Mellencamp with American Fool was their yeah. American, not so much Bruce, but John Cougar. So I went yes. back and pulled out. And, man, let me tell you, um, American Fool and Aha uh-huh and – Lutz and, and
1: Jubilee. Man, he had, he had four albums in a row.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. The, the, Paper and that's Fire. fire.
1: That's yeah. How, I, <laughs>
0: So you know, I, I like the, uh, the the acoustic medley, and he he grows into adding the washboards and the the hornpipe things, and the accordion, and yeah, yeah. Like
1: American and, musicianship and stuff yeah. like that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I I really I've always liked him, and and I this I saw Farmade long time ago, there was you know the Farm Aid series of things where they were trying to get money to be able to help people not right. lose their farm.
0: They still and do, here, I think. I think it still goes on. Yeah,
1: I, I haven't seen one in a long time, and I haven't even seen one advertised. If it ever came to Ohio, I'd drive to wherever it was to see it, so I'm not sure where they're doing them. But it, um, we saw... So many good bands that day. We saw Van Hagar, the first appearance of Sammy Hagar with Van Halen. We, we, uh, John Kubrick, Melcamp was fantastic. The Beach Boys stepped out on stage on what was overall a overcast cloudy day and the sun came out. It was the coolest for yeah. anything. But BB King came on stage. And he showed all those boys how a man plays the blues. <laughs> it was so good. Just him and his guitar and his band. And he was arresting on stage with his... his Soul and his command, and his the joy of his. He was just having so much fun being like, I never played 80,000 people before, and just launched it. Oh my god! So, anyway, that was all those links that happened with us. Is that as much as I love John Cougar, I love Don Henley, I loved all these other people that were there, and that's like, man, but I still don't know enough music. BB B. King just blew them away, and I, I knew I liked him, but man, live he, he was fantastic. I
0: think it wasn't maybe i'm thinking of a different year or whatever but didn't was in, in like maybe
1: 1983 or something like okay, that okay so that's
0: earlier than the one i'm thinking of cuz i remember one maybe it was bb king or no benny king uh um, ah, okay. and also and like yeah. every other artist every other band that was playing that day they all like went to play with him on stage. You're like, we all want to play with him on stage. Yes, exactly. so it, it looked like Skinnered up there. It was like 20 guitars. And, <laughs> uh, I don't even remember if it was farm or what, but yeah, you know, they're like, we know the master. This is one of the guys who influenced us. You know, we exactly. all want to say I played with him on stage. And In I, fact,
1: B.B. I, I, King, while he was playing, he broke a string and he didn't say, Hey, everybody pause while I do this. He kept he, going kept going yeah. and re- replaced his string while playing and then just and, and the show went on it was like so how many times did he have to do that in some dance hall on in a small town you right. know the show must go on, right. and, and it, it just was he didn't flinch he didn't and like i guess he's you know whatever he had to do to find those notes on another string right. It this was amazing that he was such a a trooper the guy who's d- been doing this for 40 years and nothing phases him nowadays yeah. you know what i
0: it's just so cool <laughs> well, I, I remember a, a thing um a, a leopard interview uh, video or whatever uh they were playing on some tv show and they played a, their hit song of the day or whatever and then i think uh, um stand by me uh benny king was coming on to do stand by me and he goes hey all i've got is an orchestra i need some electric would you guys be my backup band and they're like oh my god yes and <laughs> yeah joe elliott the lead singer goes yeah it's only fair that they get to play with a good singer for once in their lives <laughs> you know so that a lot. Was, yeah <laughs> good, good stuff all right i'll make sure and put links to all that into the thing we should try and do that every week uh get a book and music
1: that's a great recommendation we should have been doing that all along yeah what What are we favorites because so much of like having when you have a lot under your belt your taste is a little bit more informed than other people and it might be that i carry a torch for certain things that someone's going to listen to it and say really you like the buggles and yet man adventures in modern recording oh my
0: god it's fantastic for the time time it was you know revolutionary it's pop you know what i mean and, okay. <laughs> and you've mentioned marillion several times and i know they're one of those bands that the people that know them are like yes you need to listen to marillion but they're not known until somebody recommends them to somebody else you know it just seems like they're you know almost all my musician friends oh yeah marillion uh you know dream theater was like that too a little bit
1: uh, it's true underground for a long time before they had a lot of public awareness and yeah. stuff like that exactly yeah.
0: and i, I felt I felt good. We were doing this little between me and some of my author friends, we were doing this little music thing. Like, Hey, name one song, one album, and then a story to go with it. And yeah. this, and somebody put up this uh, group called badlands and a song I hadn't heard before. And I'm like, Oh, they sound like muse. They're like, Oh my God, that they do. There's sound just like muse and other hell. people are like who the hell is muse? You know? So.
1: It's, I, I, I love that where someone, I, I, I don't like it where some people are so slavishly devoted that they sound too much like them. But the first time that I heard Greta Van Fleet, it was like, oh, "That's sick! Can- that- what, what the hell's going on here?" Yeah, and, and it was one of the things I and I had to buy like immediately. I bought, I think, the EP, and then they had an album. I was like, "Well, I still want more, so I don't care right. about the same songs." You know, I just was yeah. like, "So realize how hungry you are for New Zeppelin when someone pulls it off." And, you know and, and I? I- <laughs>
0: I know through the years, there have been a lot of bands that say, oh, they sound like Zeppelin. And when you listen to them, it's like, no, they have one song where he sings like Robert Plant, but the music is not quite there. Even Bonham. It's not John Paul Jones quality. Exactly. Yeah. You know, even the band Bonham didn't sound quite like Zeppelin. True. But when I heard Greta Van Fleet, I'm like, Oh my God, the John Paul Jones and Robert Plant and Eddie, uh, Eddie, duh. But they're, they're, they must be writing this. They must be helping with this. I'm like, it sounds so much like Zeppelin. I was like, Oh, I was like, I gotta listen to this again. You know, my son's like, okay, calm down. I'm like, you don't get it. You know, (laughs) Zeppelin's been a, I didn't discover Zeppelin until 10 years after they broke up. So
1: yeah, I actually saw them. I saw them Uh, live. In fact, it was the last show in Chicago before Robert Plant's son died, and they canceled the rest of the shows and flew back to England. So I don't think I saw the last U.S. performance, but for that tour, saw the last show of that tour. Wow. Like, Steven, they were amazing. <laughs> they yeah, were well… They were- So, there was so much good music, and they were like then they had the right combination of special effects with it being in aid of the songs, not overwhelming, and Jimmy Page doing like a bow solo on guitar, I think, during the quarter, maybe, and stuff. Oh man, they just they were a spectacle. You know what I mean? There's not many groups that could really pull off rock spectacle
0: and they did. <laughs> and, and people say they're like the grandfathers of heavy metal and that, but and they were very heavy, but they're not heavy in the sense we have it today. They I mean, yeah. listen to the third album. It's almost all acoustic, folks. It's acoustic exactly. guitar and marimbas can, and
1: not just how many notes can I play and how much can I bash in the face with my music and stuff yeah, like that.
0: But it's all very blues-based. It, yep. You know, it's, it's just, you, it's, it sounds like it's just the perfect nexus of music. Uh, exactly. With Zeppelin.
1: They're one of those bands, like I said, when I, when it's been too long since I've heard them, I really will throw on Physical Graffiti or Zeppelin 3 or 4, Zofo. And you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. I, honestly, I even like Coda and In Through the Outdoor. Yeah. I, they, just, they just did so much. And in fact, it's, uh, John Paul Jones has uh, a couple of solo albums and his first solo album is unbelievably good yeah oh yeah this is, it's really funny. the lakewood auditorium little tiny lakewood high school auditorium had john paul jones opening for king crimson i, I it's the most great music i've ever heard in an inappropriate place yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Auditorium, and yet i think that his album is called like zymox or something like that it doesn't matter uh, another one is if you seek out john paul jones solo album it's just so good it's just <laughs> he's just Multi instrumental and so melodic and so talented. Oh no, my when God.
0: I when I was learning to play, John Paul Jones, John Entwistle, uh, yes. Jaco Pastorius, uh, you know, I, I found the gods really quickly.
1: Uh, Absolutely. So I've been getting my little, you know, my album sets. Like I mentioned, you were know, like for twenty bucks, you can get five albums, four bucks right. a pop good and like it's not only the the easy obvious ones like let's get all journeys hits let's go ario speed wagons i found mahovich new orchestra i found weather report there's two weather report box sets oh my god there's just so much good music hearing birdland when you haven't heard birdland for a long time it's there's nothing else like it it's
0: just so yeah. beautiful and soulful and like playful that you know what album. i mean yeah, that whole house. So, and and yes. we, we talked about this before. I was listening. Um, so many people are getting those Google and Alexa speakers and right. using the assistant. And they listen to their music because, I, okay, I get it. You can have five of them in your house and you can jump between rooms and it follows you. Yeah. But. These things were so designed for stereo in our ears, not just one little speaker. And you miss so much. And it's funny, when I was listening to uh, John Cougar or John Mellencamp, whatever he goes by now, um, I'm listening to it with my headphones on and nice sound. And I'm like, wow, if I didn't know this artist, I would say, oh, this sounds like something from the 70s or 80s. There's something about the music, something about the style. There you go, and, exactly. and you miss that with all the modern pop and the electronics. In that, there is definitely a, something in that, and it's not just the recording. People are like, Oh, the record, no, it's the mindset. It's the what we're just bringing it all back around once again their mindset at the time that way that music came across.
1: If they want to portray on album what it's like to be in the studio with them and that you want sonically to hear that the drums are a very specific place and the guitar and the bass and the cymbals are are like, yeah. you can hear them than the drum. I mean, they really do fantastic work sometimes with capturing, and especially shifts of voices where there's two distinct voices and they're left and right instead of being blended together in the middle. That's, yeah. boy, I, I, the name is, sk- by the way, it's Walter Gibson, by the way, is the, yes. the guy that did Romance or all the, I think yes. he even mentioned, it, but he did all the early cyberpunk and, yes. and that is the final. if yeah. you will. And I mentioned Sterling because I really like his work as well, but yeah. um, they both continue to do good books, if you will. Yes. Um, so uh bear with me, Little Lion Man. I'm trying to think there was a grant coming out over the last 10 years that were all very acoustic, a lot of mandolin and banjo and guitar and like a time when everything had gone synthetic and um electric and so forth. And they just sounded so much like, okay, these guys are really great musicians and they just kind of like set up a mic in the room. They didn't over mic and over treat. Really, And like uh, nowadays when you hear auto-tune, I've never really liked it, but I could understand why you wanted to make it so that you, that you were the master of what you were trying to put out. You could correct things and make it, but these guys, you can actually hear like that the vocals aren't quite right, but it's beautiful. It's human because you can't. Sing along complex lyric and not have to like take a little breath in and hear you know, fretwork you know where their fingers are moving they don't take take that out and stuff so I love it when it's not overproduced that you really feel like these guys are sitting right here in my living room with right. me how cool why can't I think of this band's name um it, you know again it'll it'll, it'll come <laughs> in. I have that, that weird thing of like things flow out and then I'll hit like, okay, I really like these guys. And just like I recommended Frost, I want to recommend these guys, but they're somehow next they're week. not in my catalog next week. Look okay, Exactly. Week. So yeah. And I down, like I said, Gibson actually came to me within a really short amount of time after we talked about it, but I didn't want for once, I didn't want to be interruptive exactly. about <laughs> other things. And so I wanted to make sure that I got it in so that we we talked about yes. like hey folks, if you want to get, a fantastic series of books. Start with the first thing that Gibson wrote and just work your way forward. Yeah. And you'll see he's been fantastic about reflecting the world as it might come to be over the years and in a good way and in a dangerous way. And that just that you get to see how much he called perfectly and how much he was wrong. But it's just, it's so fantastic to see someone that had that, that the, that the world Two days after today, what's it going to look like? Right, you know just, I mean? just
0: be prepared. He likes to write the huge, thick book. Oh,
1: that's right. Like what? Boy, what was the his some you know the, the silver something trilogy that each, three books that were all a thousand pages each. Yeah. It's like okay, we're going. Well, i have in. <laughs> exactly. All right, okay. man. So it's always, uh, and uh, we we'll we'll see. We have our live podcast coming up in just a couple yes, of weeks. The we'll talk travel
0: Friday. Travel. Exactly. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. Take care Steve. You have been listening to the relentless geekery podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on geek topics of the week.